You're listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Brought to you in association with OvertimeIreland.com. Now, here's the OTI guys. Hello, welcome back to the OTI Podcast. Myself, Colin Kelly, as always, bringing the show, and I'm uh, glad to be joined on, I guess, uh, today after the 4th of July while we record this, but I guess we'll call it our 4th of July special. How's it going, Doug? Uh, it's going well. It's going well. It's a crazy weekend in, in, uh, in America, but um, I don't know if you guys celebrate over an island or anything or, or, or celebrate that uh, that we get annoying or, or stuff like that, but good weekend. Uh, what about you? Yeah, well, uh, we don't get to celebrate it over here, obviously, because it's not our Independence Day, but I do know right. that there's, there's, a, there's a number of companies over here, multinational companies that are USA-owned, and uh, I know a, a number of employees that work for them. Actually, they don't get the Irish holidays off. They actually get the American holidays off. So uh, it's quite interesting that way. They actually would have had uh, the day off rather than a normal Irish holiday. So that's always interesting. Uh, Doug was getting on to me just before we started recording that I have a bit of a five o'clock shadow going on. So usually when we're doing these shows, I shave up nice and clean. So I look good when I'm doing it, but I let myself go this week. So I'll know for next week's show to make sure that I have uh, my hair all nice and neatly trimmed, Doug. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. You completely look like a slob just because you have a little bit of facial hair. Uh, <laughs> for those who can't see me, I have facial hair, but um, I think Calm rocks a lot better than I do. I just have this little chin strap going. He's got a, a full five o'clock shadow. So <laughs> I, I guess if anybody should clean up, it's me. Should be a lot of fun on today's show, getting joined by the man behind the rookie scouting portfolio. It's going to be Matt Waldman. Uh, this one's been lined up since I was in Australia, actually, so prior to you even coming on the show. So this one should be a good one coming up in just a few minutes. So obviously when you're listening to the show, you found the OTI podcast. Hopefully you've uh, been listening for a long time. If it is your first time tuning in, whether you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, whether it's on the OTI website, uh, make sure that you hit the subscribe button. You can get that each and every week. Uh, we're doing one show a week at the moment. Last week we actually had two shows and we'll be alternating between one and two up to the season and hopefully in the season we'll be hitting two shows a week. We'll see how the schedule goes. Uh, my wedding is NFL week one, so that should be fun fitting that in along with the honeymoon, but we'll get that all sorted and uh, get you your NFL content. Also mentioned in the last few shows, uh, we've linked up with NFL Euroshop. Anyone based in Europe uh, looking for some NFL gear, some great deals on there. And if you use the landing link that I've been tweeting out, they kick some uh, money back the way off the OTI podcast. Help us keep things ticking over here. And uh, as well, another competition for another t-shirt went this last week. And uh, I was glad to give another one away but over the last 24 hours i've actually ordered a new edition of the overtime ireland t-shirt so uh, there's a new one coming in the next couple of weeks and uh, doug pumps his fist in the air he's desperate to get hold of one of them so uh, we'll see what we can do but uh, it was actually a new follower on twitter she's been following us actually since the scott fish episode uh, Casey Kasem, uh, so she's in the Scott Fishbowl and she's been uh, tweeting out about us being in the Scott Fishbowl and different stuff going on, so it's great to get people both supporting the show and it's uh, also great to uh, give back to those who spread the word, so thanks to everyone who entered that competition and as I mentioned, new t-shirts on the way, uh, hopefully we'll be giving them out in the very, very near future um, really, a couple of bits and pieces of news Doug, over the last couple of days uh, nothing really spectacular, I did ask you this before we started recording, but uh, over Amazon Prime, they've had all or nothing with the Arizona Cardinals. You haven't seen it yet. You don't know what you're missing out on, man. Uh, you need to get over and <laughs> get seeing some of it. Uh, you know, people talk about hard knocks. This is very, very different. I think 
obviously you don't want to talk about uh, performance enhancing drugs but this is a bit like hard knocks and steroids and uh, bruce arians with his colorful language uh, it's been he's been dropping a few f-bombs over the last couple of days that i've been watching the show and I, I really have enjoyed it anyone that's out there that hasn't watched it like doug needs to start getting along and watching it doug i know it's the fourth of july weekend over there but uh, what's your excuse for not tuning in uh, I don't have an excuse. I, I'm not creative enough to think of one. So oh. I, I will say that that's just pure laziness on my part and, and um, a clear lack of motivation that Bruce Arians would rip me for. <laughs> yeah, we've been talking talking up the Cardinals quite a bit over the last couple episodes, so um, I'm surprised you haven't tucked into it yet. On the other hand, the Cowboys, a couple of suspensions come in for them. You know, it's going to be on the defensive side of the ball. I think they're going to be under a lot of pressure this year. We don't talk a lot of defensive side uh, at the minute on the podcast, looking more offensive side of things. But when you're looking around it, Doug, the suspensions that were uh, handed down, they're missing quite a few starters heading into this uh, upcoming season now. Uh, Randy Gregory obviously had already tested positive and was going to miss uh, some games. But the way things that have uh, fallen in recent days, how do you think uh, with Rolando McLean going out and Demarcus Lawrence as well? How do you see this Cowboys defense starting the season? Yeah, this this team is just going through a lot of, I mean, is it surprising? No, I mean, Jerry Jones has never shied away from high, uh, low, I don't know if you can call him high character, maybe the opposite of high character sort of players. Rolando McLean suspended 10 games. Yeah. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence coming off of uh, back surgery. Randy Gregory missing four games. Um, they don't have Greg Hardy anymore. They're just going through a ton and ton, and then they have their number one cornerback um, Orlando Scandrick coming back from ACL surgery as yeah. well. They're going through a lot of change, and it's going to be really interesting to see because we're, we're just seeing a lot of names thrown out there that we would have never thought of that would be on a starting defense, let alone maybe even a starting 53-man um, roster for any team. So it'll be interesting. I think the reason it's, it's interesting is because of, you know, the teams that do play Dallas the first few weeks can they be in a situation where they may have a better matchup because of all their the players that are going to be missing or or coming off of suspension or, yeah. or injury or anything like that? So it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, they're they're just dealing with a lot of loss right now. And and again, I think this goes back to uh, you know uh, Jerry Jones. He's not afraid to to go uh, go get a guy that may have some questions at character. Randy Gregory for one. Um, Rolando McLean has always been an interesting guy. I think he's retired and come back. Yeah. And <laughs> so it's interesting to see, but um, yeah, I, I really wonder if they're going to even be able to, to keep up against uh, some of the, the the teams out there. I mean, they definitely got some good pieces, but it's hard to play when you're missing a lot of your starting guys due to suspension or injury. Yeah, when they're all out as well, when you're looking around, it kind of reminds me of uh, two seasons ago when we were looking at the defense thinking it was possibly going to be one of the worst defenses in NFL history and they turned out being pretty good and made it to the playoffs but a lot of that on the back off the offensive line and DeMarco Murray so we we already know Ezekiel Elliott's gone in there in the draft and we know Dez should be uh, hitting the season pretty much healthy likewise with Tony Romo so we'll see how it affects the uh, the skill position guys and more of the fantasy related players but I, I'm sure we'll have plenty of time to talk about that in the next few weeks coming up. Excited uh, now to bring on the guest for today's show somebody that I I've wanted to get on the show for a long, long time, and uh, it should be a lot of fun talking with him. So uh, going to get Matt Waldman aboard the show right now. Hi, I'm Matt Williamson, and you are listening to the Overtime Ireland podcast. So 
So I mentioned in the intro there that uh, we're being joined now on the show by Matt Waldman. A lot of you will know him from the Rookie Scouting Portfolio and the fantastic work he does there as well as uh, over at Football Guys as well, one of the main writers with them. He's been somebody that uh, since I've started the podcast, I've been lucky enough to, over the last two or three years, have most of the people on that I've wanted to have on. You know, there's a lot of writers out there that I respect and uh, love to read their work, love to listen to them on other podcasts. And uh, Matt is one of the the final ones, kind of. I've been lucky to get them all on and uh, I'm delighted now to to have Matt on the show. So uh, thanks for jumping aboard, Matt. Oh, it's a complete pleasure. Thanks for having me. Just uh, jumping into some of the topics, uh, there's lots of stuff, and obviously we're going kind of into rookies, maybe some second-year players when we're talking today. But uh, to start off, you've done an article recently enough, and uh, i seen it retweeted again uh, on your Twitter timeline yesterday. I thought we'd jump into it to start off, and you're looking at uh, what makes a number one fantasy wide receiver. And I know when we're looking at drafts coming up, a lot of people like to they want to get that number one, and they sometimes forget the values of the number two and number three wide receivers. But you went specifically looking at what makes those number one and of course when we're looking at number ones you're looking at guys like Julio Jones Jordy Nelson previous to last year before the injury guys like Odell Beckham Antonio Brown guys that get that target share but there's a lot more that goes into it other than the target share obviously the quality of the players to be there but you broke it down into incredible detail on the site uh, on the Matt Waldman RSP site and uh, as well that was on football guys just uh, a little bit of the background and uh, there was a lot of work going into that (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess so. I mean, it's been something I've been doing for a few years. So, I mean, I just kind of updated as we yeah. go just to see kind of have a running total. But uh, what I looked at is I, I, I was always curious about what really was the anatomy of a player who qualifies as a fantasy football wide receiver one. And and a lot of times people think it's something like the Julio Jones archetype, which is the, the great athlete who's the only guy on the offense that's getting fed the football who who's really the only viable target and to me that it just didn't seem to make sense because it, it seemed like that a lot of times people are always looking for that type of archetype as that next player to break through when in fact it, it seemed at least from an anecdotal standpoint that it, it, it had a lot more to do with a balanced passing offense where you had a really strong player who was who was very skilled in one way or another, either as an athlete or as a technician or a combination often enough of both. And they also had surrounding talent who could take the pressure off him and that defenses had to account for two to three other players. So what I did is I looked at, you know, all the receivers who were wide receiver ones from 2005 through 2015. And I noted which receivers had teammates who were also fantasy starters at wide receiver or tight end, as well as quarterback. And I listed those and found that really the, the main archetype is that is that 80% of the wide receiver ones you're looking for come from balanced offenses where there's a productive player that puts, it puts the team in a bind so that it gives that receiver easy, easier opportunities. Um, so that's kind of what I was looking at and, and giving a lot of data for. And then I just talked about how some of the players that are projected to be wide receiver ones, how they, they fit into those archetypes as well as looked at receivers who may make that jump based on some of the archetypes I explored. 
Yeah, and out of the guys that you might think might make that jump this year, uh, I've listened to a number of podcasts this week, and I'm not quite sure which podcast Matt was on. He was on with us last week, Matt Harmon, and he was talking about, you know, looking two or three years back. Uh, I think it was the DLF podcast. Looking two or three years back, we would have kind of said, uh, there's no chance Antonio Brown's going to break out this year and become the major star that he has, you know, two years later in that progression. Who did you pick out, maybe one or two guys, that could make that leap forward this year to become that uh, true number one wide receiver in fantasy football? Yeah, I, mean, I think that probably, and by the way, I'll mention that I just had Matt Matt Harmon on one of my shows. We yeah. watched um, uh, a receiver for the Dolphins, Deontay Carew. I'm and just after finishing it up, just before you come on. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> wow, well, at, this, at, the, at the rate that he does shows, he's yeah, like a citizen of the world. He's gone, he's gone crazy um, this uh, last two weeks. <laughs> yes, hasn't he? So... So yeah, he's he's definitely on tour. He's the you know I, I joked with him at the end of the show that he was the uh, artist working man in show business, but he can't <laughs> yell like James Brown. So, um, but Keenan Allen would probably be a guy that I, I would look at as someone who was you know he was on track for a huge year last year. He got into really good shape and it showed. And then he got hurt, and it was a type of an injury that you know, was an internal injury, um, wasn't anything that is going to be lasting in terms of his ability to perform in future seasons. And and I just think that the combination of him getting Travis Benjamin, who's excellent at stretching the field, and, and kind of give that element of what Deshaun Jackson gave the Eagles and Washington back in um, you know in recent years, yeah. I think Travis Benjamin can do that for the Chargers and. Allen was one of those players that my, my friend Ryan Riddle, who's a, a, a former Cal defensive end and a, and a writer at, Bleach, at Bleacher Report for many years, he talked about Keenan Allen saying that Allen was the type of player that wasn't out of shape, but he's, he's one of those rare players that can play at two different weights, but he's a different type of player in a very different type of player that based on how he carries that weight. Yeah. And so if he's really thin, he can be a deep threat and be, and be you know, but then you have to take him off the field a little bit more often. If you have him a little bit heavier, you can have him be your possession, kind of your possession plus guy, and be a little bit more physical um, and physical after the catch. And I think they're going for more of the thin, lean, speedy guy um, in this offense, even though they added Benjamin to the mix. But with him and Antonio Gates, I, I think that you know now they have a, a trio of receivers that can really – drive defenses to distraction yeah and i'm very i'm very high on keenan allen even last season going into it so he's a player that every time somebody comes on the podcast and talks about him i kind of think that's him starting to go up a little bit more in adp but uh then you went on to the the gut check uh, over two months ago so it's obviously in may so things may have changed since that came out adps might be slightly different but you looked at some players that you know late showers or emerging talents that might break out you know kind of late breakouts and you know, the 2014 draft class, we've seen players break out at a rapid rate as rookies with Odell Beckham, Mike Evans, you know, that Jordan Matthews, them sort of players. But then there's players generally take two or three years to, to get to that stage and break out. And you're looking around the league and you've looked at a number of players and that, that there's a possibility that they may break out this year uh, or maybe even for Dynasty and a year or two further down the road. You had players like Blake Bell of the, the 49ers and uh, DeAndre Smelter. They're players who... I know people are laughing about Chip Kelly's 
time uh, finishing up in you know Philadelphia and how they're going into this season. But somebody has to step forward, and Tory Smith's starting to get talked up. But somebody has to get those fantasy points, and there will be ones there this year. Another one that I was interested they had talked about was Spencer Ware as well, somebody who's going very, very late. Obviously, he's behind Jamal Charles, but Charles starting to get older and coming back off that injury as well. So in that there piece, the kind of later emerging talents, was there any other players that you found particularly interesting in that piece? And I know you're very high on Kenny Bell. He's somebody that, listening to you from last year, I've picked up in a number of leagues. Uh, heading into this year, he was another player you had on that list. Is he still somebody that you're uh, excited about to see what he can do with Jameis Winston in that Tampa Bay offense? I am, because I think that Vincent Jackson's career is um, in its twilight, yeah. and he may have another decent season, but Bell offers that component of um, speed, toughness, skill to run routes, skill after the catch, that he's not just a slot receiver. And he's a player that the Buccaneers are really high on because when a player gets hurt in the NFL and they're placed on injured reserve, they usually can't, are not allowed to travel with the team. Um, they, they aren't usually at the games. Um, or at least on the sideline at the games, but they let him travel with the team and and be at the sideline on road games, which is a really big sign that they they like him. They feel like that he was going to have an opportunity to learn and absorb information because he was going to make the most of his time. Um, he's the son of a former NFL player for the Denver Broncos. He's a. I think that he's a, he's one of those guys that in two to three years we'll look at him and he'll be kind of a a deep threat version of Heinz Ward, you know, a really kind of a tough utility player who can, you know, be a productive cog in an offense and for fantasy owners all over the field. Um, I also would say if I had time, I was, I'm probably going to write about him a little bit more. Um, and I know that Matt Harmon is writing about him too, but is, is Bruce Ellington yeah. um, for the 49ers. He's, he, you know, he's a smaller player, but physical, he's, he's probably going to get the bulk of the targets in San Francisco as that slot receiver who can also go deep. And so I, I think that he's a really nice late round find. And I've always been a big fan of Spencer Ware. I think that he's probably, I I like him more than Charkandrick West. West is a faster back. He's a more athletic guy, but Ware is much stronger. He's quick. He's got excellent short area movement and he has better vision. And I think that he could be that Marion Barber to um, type of back, the old Cowboys back who who've closed out games. And, and I think that the Chiefs are in a position that if they can stay close in games, where we'll get enough usage that he can make a difference. And if, you know, Charles is slow to heal or they feel like they really want to use a committee, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Ware pushes um, these other backs for more time um, down the line. And I would, you know, the only thing with backs is that you don't want to wait too long. You're waiting three or four years for a back to develop um, and get his shot. By that point, teams are already thinking he's old enough that we don't want to pay him a big money contract. (laughs) So he's got a very small window to really show that. But a back who is interesting might be Zach Zenner of the Lions uh, of South Dakota State. He was, um, you know, he's got good power, good quickness. And he's someone that had also an internal injury last year, but he looks like he's got a very good shot to be in a committee and play that Jelk, that Joyke Bell role to Amir Abdullah in this Lions offense. And if he lands that, he could be a big surprise as a fantasy asset this year. For me, I think um, it's really interesting they bring up Spencer Ware because um, uh, when you think about it, uh, everybody's going after, and I- I'm guilty of it too. Um, 
where you saw last year when Jamal Charles went down, for example, and then Charkandrick West was the guy who stepped up. And then when I believe Charkandrick West actually dealt with some injuries, then Ware came on board. Yeah. Both of them signed extensions in the offseason. Um, so, I, I mean, when when you think about Spencer Ware, I'm, I'm curious, do you think he has a role or, or do you think he passes, say, someone, for example, like West in 2016 and be the primary backup? Or do you think it's a matter of, you know, maybe this is somewhere where Jamal Charles is gone in 2017 because uh, he's a free agent, and then that's when really Ware has a chance. Or do you think, like I said, he has a chance to contribute in, in 16 with uh, Charles coming off a knee injury? Yeah, Doug, I think it's probably best to look at it as that his chance will come in 2017, um, and this year only comes if there's an injury. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's probably the safest way of looking at it. Um, it's a shame because, you know, as someone who looks at a talent a lot, it's easy for me to want to picture narratives where it, that, that player is going to make a difference. But I found that over time you just want to play it. It's probably best to play it safe and understand that, look, Spencer Ware, he'll be available at the end of your draft. He'll be available probably on your waiver wire in a lot of leagues. And it doesn't hurt to be able to pick him up if one of your players that you drafted underperforms or gets injured and you just want to pick up a guy that you know has talent and all he needs is carries and he's going to produce. And I think that that's what they had in him because, I mean, I liked him a lot at LSU. Um, I had him rated, I believe, as one of my top three or four backs in that draft along with Le'Veon Bell um, and, you know, with the likes of players like he and, um, you know, Eddie Lacy and, you know, Jamal Charles, I'm not Jamal Charles, I'm Giovanni Bernard and the like. And Spencer Ware, the, the, the biggest issue with him is that he had a drug problem at LSU, or at least he had a problem where he was disciplined for drug usage, um, which can be a different usage and a problem or two different things, kind of like drinking. So it'd be the same type of thing. He, and that dropped him down um, in terms of the perception of his value, but in terms of his athletic ability, ability to carry the football, teams knew how good he was. They just were concerned whether or not he was going to be able to stay disciplined and be a professional. And when he was in Seattle, they were very, very excited about him to the point that they had drafted Robert Turbin and Kristen Michael, who were both very highly regarded players. And he actually earned playing time above both of those backs um, by the end of the preseason and was seen um, reps on the field in regular season games before he got hurt. And I was told by a scout that he was, um, you know, that they were excited about him before he had a, um, uh, basically a DUI that got him kicked off the team. Um, and he was, you know, it was one of those things where they felt like he had a future there as a running back. And so when you draft the likes of Kristen Michael and Robert Turbin, even though neither of them really panned out, they were drafted based on their talent um, and and the high-end potential that they had. And when a player like Ware beats them both out, in essence, as a rookie undrafted, um, that should tell you, you know, or as a late-round pick, that should tell you right off the bat that this guy is a very good football player. Yeah, and just when you're talking about uh, when you're talking about Christine Michael, there's obviously a lot of people still out there in Dynasty, I'm sure, have uh, feelings for him. So we'll jump up to the Seattle Seahawks running back situation. And there's obviously Thomas Rawls, who finished the season very strong last year before that injury. And, you know, there's talk, obviously, them moving away from the running game a little bit, going more pass-centric like they were towards the end of the year. We've seen what Doug Baldwin, Russell Wilson did towards the end, and Tyler Lockett. But when you're looking at the you know the depth chart now, you're you're still looking at Thomas Rawls at the top of it, but 
with uh, the injury and there's still kind of very quiet not a lot coming out about how much his recovery is coming along but guys like cj process and alex collins uh, drafted this year and then i mentioned <laughs> the uh, the fed, famous and legendary christine michael still there as well how do you see it shaking out obviously process is somebody that uh, you've done a good bit of work on uh, looking at him you know with the, the rsp and i listened to a thing this week as well when you were talking with uh, chad span who was his running backs coach at notre dame talking about you know how uh, it, uh, he's he's developed how do you see it all shaking out up there in seattle yeah well right now it sounds like that he's still needing a little bit more time to develop and catch on and they and while i wouldn't say they're absolutely disappointed with him i think that um he's been a little you know he's been slow to catch on to some of the concepts that he needs to catch on to and that's really what should be expected from a, a former wide receiver i mean he it, basically the way it went down is that his his brother saw saw one of the um, RSP film rooms I did on on him asked me if I knew of any coaches that were doing some work and um, I knew Chad and I knew that Chad did good work and I talked to a couple scouts I knew and asked them if there was anybody that they uh, that they knew of that would be a better fit than Chad doing what he does and they were like absolutely not it would be you know, Chad does really good work, and this would be a great opportunity um, for CJ to, to work with someone who can help him right away. And Chad's done that, and he's working with him again between now and training camp. Um, so we'll see if he gets has even more improvement from there. But I would say that Precise is a guy who's going to be a situational type of player at best this year. He'll be used some in the passing game. He'll get some carries, but uh, he won't be used on a variety of play types where he might not be as familiar or have, you know, with the running scheme or the blocking scheme and have it down as well as, a, you know, maybe a more veteran guy would. Kristen Michael, you know, they're, they know what they have with him, which is basically a talented guy, um, but who can be mistake prone and, and have concentration lapses and not really um, play to work to his level of talent. Um, so he's kind of a placeholder filler guy in case, uh, you know, guys like Alex Collins, who is, you know, really a, a really smart, versatile back who doesn't have great athletic ability like Michael, but he is he's de- he's a determined runner who I think that will have a good shot, probably over precise to be the second back or at least in a committee as one of two to three players who will see time. And then after that, you can look you know even further at Zach Brooks, who is a former wide receiver who turned into a running back at Clemson, catches the ball well really fast. Um, they might see what they can get out of him. Um, but to me, if you're going to look at it overall, Rawls is the guy you're going to want to get. And if you can get him at a bargain because people are worried about the injury, um, then that wouldn't be a bad thing to do if he comes at a good value. And then I would say if you're going to take your chance on any of the running backs, probably the smartest bet is going to be Alex Collins um, late where you don't get a huge – have to make a huge investment but the return the the potential for return there is enough that he could wind up being the lead back in a committee if Rawls can't stay healthy sharing time with a guy like Kristen Michael gotcha so um talking about another a rookie running back now personally for me at, at the price that we see in redraft leagues Jay Ajaji seems to be too expensive for me right now um obviously they had Lamar Miller there last year he's with Houston now and then um you know we have Adam Geese coming in 
you know, he definitely, uh, you know, it seems to have a, a better, he comes in with a, a better reputation than what we saw with the Dolphins the past few years. But what I'm curious about is, even though he had uh, some good receiving numbers at Boise State, as some of us, I guess, did not know um, or didn't weren't just aware about, a guy that's being talked up right now is Kenyon Drake, uh, obviously drafted in the third round by the Dolphins. Um, there's a lot of talk of Ajaji um, struggling in the past game, and Drake could have a role on third down. What do you see? I mean, what do you see how it's shaking out for at least 2016? Do you think Ajaji will catch on and be able to be a potential three down back? Or do you think Drake could come in right away and actually have a role and maybe even uh, form a, a committee of sorts with, with Ajaji? I would say that the, the way it's going to work is probably, you know, there's two ways of looking at this what you see on tape and the politics involved in the situation of having a new coaching regime. Um, it's much like, say, the Atlanta Falcons last year when they had a holdover in Devonta Freeman, who was a talented draft pick by the former regime, who got a little bit of playing time and honestly I thought made good decisions and looked decent, better than what people expected. It's just that they, it got clouded by what they saw with um, the poor offensive line play. So you, when they drafted Tevin Coleman, Tevin Coleman kind of got force-fed into the offense, even though he did not have the skills to really handle the blocking scheme that they were using, which is kind of odd for me to say, I realize, because at Indiana he ran an outside zone blocking scheme a lot. But the difference between doing that successfully at the college level and doing it successful at the NFL level requires a lot more conceptual acumen and coordination and footwork and patience and a balance between patience and decisiveness that Coleman did not demonstrate at all at Indiana. He won on his athletic ability. And when he came to Atlanta, it was the same thing. They had to change the blocking scheme um, when they used him in games after the first few weeks because they realized that he couldn't run an outside zone blocking scheme the way um, the way that they thought because they didn't, uh, I don't know, for whatever reason, they didn't see the same things that, that, was, that was there on film to see. So, you know, they ended up going with, um, with Freeman, and Freeman had a great season. But I think that they really want to see Coleman be, the, be at least a, a big factor, if not the lead back there. So now we go to Miami to answer your question. With that as background, the new regime picked Kenyon Drake. I'm, I'm, he's another back I'm not very high on. Um, I don't think he understands how to run the football between the tackles very well. He was used more as a as a gadget player at Alabama who ran a lot of end of rounds, used in space, draw plays, uh, reverses. He, he, he was one of the only backs at Alabama who was used in this capacity when used in tandem with the starter because you could look back as far as Mark Ingram, Eddie Lacy, um, you know, Derek Henry, um, you know, and the like, and when and T.J. Yeldon, and they were all when they were used together, they all got to run inside. None of them were used as gadget players. Drake is the only one, which tells you that that kind of validates that he's kind of raw when it comes to understanding how to play the position. He's an athlete that they want to put the ball in his hands, and I think Miami's overestimating him to an extent, and they want to try and use him as that gadget player with the ball in his hands. And maybe they'll do that and force feed him to an extent to where he has production. But I thought he had issues catching the ball. I saw it in practices, um, you know, before he came to the Dolphins. I saw it in games where he didn't have the surest of hands. And when the lights come on and it's not practice anymore, um, players tend to lose their concentration and those issues pop up more and more if they're not really 
strong with their technique. So I have concerns about Drake. I think that the best case scenario is for him is that politically they decide that he needs more reps and he'll get it because that's that's really what happens is when you look at stats that say, oh, the higher the draft pick, the more likely they start. Well, it's also built in kind of um, there's a built in bias there that is the higher the draft pick, the, the more teams give them chances and say when they didn't do well in practice reps, he just needs more of them. Whereas a guy who has fewer practice reps because he's a, a non-drafted free agent, they will write him off after one mistake. Um, and so it's a it, it's a bias-ridden type of thing where they may look at it and say he's our top, he's one of our high-end draft picks. We're going to give him more chances. We're going to put him on the field until he screws up so much that we'll give it back to Jai and let him do his thing. And I think Jai is just having a, a bad a bad early part of training camp. And really, that where it's going to count the most is in late July, August. And if he starts catching the ball, then I think we may find that Kenyon Drake is really nothing more than a gadget player used three to four times a game during the season, as long as Ajayi stays healthy. Just, uh, it's nothing to do with uh, stats or analysis. But is there any player uh, in the NFL at the moment with more different pronunciations to uh, Jajayi? Uh, I don't know if anyone else's surname gets quite the. Quite the, quite the differentiations. I, yeah, you know, it's you know, I, I mispronounce names all the time, so yeah. it may Everyone very knows well be me. Talking about. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, bouncing our way to a couple of wide receivers and pass catchers just before we wrap it up uh, heading up to New York obviously everyone knows we talked earlier about wide receiver number ones we all know about Odell Beckham but across from him this year uh, their draft pick second round 40th overall was Sterling Shepard and he's starting to gather a bit of buzz and he's somebody who you know a lot of people were quite high on coming out but he's found a kind of ideal landing spot and they're starting to talk him up as being possibly an instant impact player but you know I mentioned earlier that 2014 draft class and the, how good those players were it was historically great and now people think that these rookies are going to come in and just perform straight away but Sterling Shepard from what you've watched of him what you've seen of him is he somebody you do believe can come in in his rookie season and be an in- instant impact uh, in in New York with the Giants or do you think maybe people just need to calm down a little bit and um, you know give him some time to develop yeah I mean I think that the I think the smart thing is is probably if you can if you're going to take him and you have an opportunity to do so, try to wait and make him your you know your fifth receiver, you, you know your fourth or fifth receiver, not your not a guy that you really are relying on him to be your starter right away. And it's not because I lack confidence in Shepard overall. I actually compared him stylistically to what he does well and what he does well athletically and skill wise to a former giant, Steve Smith, who was a 100-catch receiver one of those years when he was working opposite Hakeem Nix. And he he fits that bill very well. He's going to be working with the same quarterback. He's going to be working in an offense that will suit his talents. He'll get to work from the slot as well as on the outside. And so I can see him having that kind of season where he approaches a target volume, volume and reception volume near to that of Amari Cooper, but with not the same play, big playability in terms of deep passing. But he is surprisingly good in the red zone. Um, he's a good player, you know, one-on-one when you can throw the ball up and let him win it. Um, so I, I think he's a I think he's a good player, but you're going to have to really take a risk with him to get him in most leagues. And it's a, it's a slightly higher risk than I would want to take. 
Gotcha. So, I mean, I'm I'm high on Sterling Shepard. Uh, I think that he landed in a terrific spot personally. Uh, obviously, the the Giants are struggling to find a number two guy with, um, you know, with uh, Victor Cruz obviously coming back from a major injury. Didn't play at all last season. Missed about half of the season before. So. Uh, behind Odell Beckham, I think, um, personally, for me at least, and, and you bring up a lot of great points, uh, it's it's hard to not get excited about a rookie. You often get too excited sometimes about rookies and where they land and stuff like that. I think opportunity-wise, he lands in a great spot, but you definitely bring up a, a lot of good points. And, and I might have to tone it down a bit, but uh, I, I can't help but be excited for Sterling Shepard. But an, a, another, yeah, you win, another you win, rookie... Hey, you win leagues by that way, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, that's how I don't win any leagues. Yeah. <laughs> But um, so another rookie wide receiver who we talked about CJ Procise earlier, who converted from being a wide receiver to a running back. Now we're talking about a player here that I want to talk to you about, at least that converted from quarterback to wide receiver. And that's, of course, Braxton Miller. He landed with the Texans in the draft. Um, one of two wide receivers taken, I think, in the top two rounds by the Texans, with the other one being Will Fuller. Third um, yeah, yeah, he was the other one in, in the top three rounds that was drafted with Fuller being in the first. Um, and I, I'm curious because there's a lot of discussion or a lot of, I guess, debate about what he can do considering he is only one year off of playing um, wide receiver in college after being a quarterback for many years. Um, obviously, he showed athleticism in his in uh, his last season with Ohio State. Where do you see him in 2016 if he has a role at all? Um, and where do you think his ceiling could be as well? That's what I'm curious about. Yeah, I mean, I think his ceiling, you can see him develop into a competent starting wide receiver in the NFL who would probably be a wide receiver, too, in fantasy leagues, given that they have a quarterback and and a a balanced passing offense. I think that he can provide that because he's very quick. He does have good hands. He's He's an aggressive football player who handles physical contact well, and obviously he can really make plays after the catch. The problem is, is that people get easily wowed by athletic ability, and that happened at the Senior Bowl. I noticed a lot of observers who were really just enamored with his practices because, you know, there were these, you know, these practice reps where he was beating corners off the, you know, off the line of scrimmage and doing it repeatedly. But it was the first practice. He was making what I would call playground type of moves, moves that are not really set types of techniques. He was um, improvising enough that when you are, there are a lot of receivers that you can find on YouTube who are no longer in the NFL or didn't even have a, a productive career in the NFL who make some really impressive route running decisions with these types of playground moves. But the problem is, is that they take too much time and it throws off the, um, the timing with the quarterback and um, with many of the routes and they become predictable overall where a defender can basically wait for you to make the move and then they just stick you with a with their forearm or with their hands and slow you down and that's what happened to braxton miller after those practices he still has to learn how to track the ball a little bit better i noticed that on tape he's a developing player what that means is if he's a fast learner and he seems to be you know at at best he could wind up being a much bigger impact player as say the third or fourth option in this passing game than people expected and have some really big games and get people excited because of the fact that he might get the ball in space make two players miss and score you know, and have, have a huge statistical outing and get fantasy owners who look at box scores really excited. But I would say that the, the real ex- expectation with him is that he still has to learn how to run routes. 
He still has to learn how to release off the line of scrimmage. He has to do a better job of positioning himself so that he's not inviting the defender into his area when it comes to tracking a football in the air. And that's going to take him a little bit more time than just this year. So expect him to have a few big games. Um, but more than anything, um, he isn't a player that I would consider drafting at all in a redraft league. And as a dynasty owner, I would consider him as really more of a future wide receiver, too. Mm-hmm. I would look out for the likes of Jalen Strong more than I would look out for um, Brandon um, Braxton Miller at this stage. Um, I think Braxton Miller and Will Fuller could cancel each other out a little bit, depending on how well Fuller plays. Um, but, uh, you know, right now, to me, it's, you know, it's the, the new Hopkins show with <laughs> Jalen Strong maybe providing a very compelling um, supporting cast if he looks as good as everyone's been talking about in camp. Yeah, you said I was going to say it, but you took the words right out of my mouth when you talked about Braxton Miller. He is a, he's a dynasty asset and he's somebody you're looking for two or three years down the line. He's definitely a developmental project and he's somebody that I don't think will be taken in pretty much any leagues uh, unless somebody gets excited with the preseason uh, and redraft or so on this year. But it's been uh, a, a, an excellent time having you on the show, Matt. Obviously, before we finish up, I mentioned a few times the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. This will be the first year that you've gone full-time and uh, it'll be your sole job going forward obviously it's a monumental amount of work just before uh, i let you go do you want to give a plug to it and uh, anyone that doesn't already know what it is uh, i don't know what they've been doing over the last couple of years but uh, the rookie scouting portfolio I'll let you give a few words on it well they've probably been living life which is nice for them but uh, <laughs> unlike uh, unlike the rest the, of us who just the, uh, think fantasy yeah right yeah right well I, I appreciate the rest of you who who are willing to uh willing to indulge the fact that I don't live life. But, uh, but yeah, the, the Rookie Sky Portfolio is a, a publication I've, been, um, uh, I've created back in 2006, and I've been doing since then. It's an annual publication devoted to the study of rookie prospects at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. And, you know, about two to 300 pages of it is a draft guide that's in a, um, an Adobe PDF form that you can download, and it's bookmarked everywhere so that you can look at rankings, you can see where I, you know, rate people, overrate and underrate them, where they fit, how their skill, um, how their skills fit and rank against each other based on all of this um, process that I use to evaluate each position. And I go into great detail to do that. Um, it's based on really an award-winning process to monitor performance in manufacturing areas. And I applied it to football um, and kind of, you know, set it up to to be more of a football valuation tool that has caught on to the point that I have, um, you know, I've had people in the league talk to me a little bit about it and admire the work, and um, you know, obviously have a have a good audience of of you know media and fantasy owners who really enjoy the book and the process and find it worthwhile. And then the 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 rest of the book is really me just showing my work. So it looks like an ungodly number of pages, usually somewhere in the range of twelve to fourteen hundred pages. But you're only going to read about two to three hundred of them. Um, the rest is really me just showing my work um, because I never played in the NFL, I never coached in the NFL, I was never officially an NFL scout of any capacity. So I felt it was important to be transparent and show everyone why I came up with the answers I did. And then after about 10 years, when people started to see that the, the work made a difference um, and it was, and I was, you know, making some, some reasonably accurate calls on players that maybe other people didn't um, that, you know, now I just, I still do that process cause it helps me. Um, but 
you know, I, I just let people know that it's there for them to see if they want to. Yeah, and definitely, particularly, I know a lot, a lot of our listeners are dynasty players, and a lot of people listening at this point of the year are obviously dynasty players, uh, redraft players. Kind of will come in in the next couple of weeks, but people start, you know, talk about this being the the downtime in the NFL for the next, you know, two to three weeks before camps open. And uh, if you have uh, downtime and you're looking for some NFL content, definitely uh, check out Matt's uh, rookie scouting portfolio. It'll keep you well well uh, knowledgeable heading into this season and for future dynasty seasons so definitely do check it out you can find it all on matt waldman rsp.com and matt it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show hey thank you for having me on again and it was a pleasure of my own hi i'm chris harris of the harris football podcast and you are listening to overtime ireland so once again, thanks to Matt for jumping aboard the show. Of course, go and follow him on Twitter. Definitely worth a follow on there. Get all the information that he has gone out, and you can tell by talking to him there. Uh, there's a lot of wisdom and what he has to say. I definitely would recommend going and checking him out on Twitter. It's at Matt Waldman, and of course, uh, Matt Waldman are sp.com as well uh doug outside of that there obviously we've run through a number of topics uh, with matt any other stuff coming up obviously this is the part where i often give you uh, about 15 minutes to tell us all the the topics that uh, and articles that you've coming out this week yeah it, it's it's gonna be interesting i i don't know if i have any right now um oh. it's, it's just yeah i know it's it's just a dead period right now yeah, and that's that's yeah. what's hard we're all waiting for football and there's just not a lot to write about right now especially with uh, at least for me um, you know, we're all sitting waiting for training camp to happen. Yep. There's not much news going around right now. The big weekend was in basketball, and obviously that's still being talked about. Yep. And um, I think it, I think once we start hitting towards um, in towards training camp preseason, I'll have plenty more to write about. But uh, I'll keep it down to maybe one to two minutes this time and, and say that <laughs> not right now. I don't necessarily have anything. I might be writing an article on would Arian Foster be a good fit for the Patriots? Um, so that, that might be coming out this week for, for uh, the Patriots website on Scout. Um, but yeah, really not much else right now. It's just, I, I, I'm sure people know, other writers out there, it's a dead period right now. That's that's one of the biggest issues, not only in, for NFL writing and also um, for fantasy football. So um, it's just, it's it's there's, you're, you're writing the same thing over and over again, hoping that, uh, you know, just changing a couple of words and hoping that nobody ever notices. But, yeah, no, very, very true. I always find that around the 4th of July weekend, this is the kind of time where I know we've been talking, obviously, on the podcast about the NFL, fantasy football, and so on, and then there's other podcasts out there. We don't talk too much about them, but there is other podcasts out there. Doug, I don't know if you've heard about any of them, but when people start to get into, you know, the diehards keep going with their dynasty leagues, MFL 10s, uh, keep going really from the Super Bowl onwards. Now, I think from the 4th of July weekend, from this point forward, is when the kind of casual uh, fantasy football players and NFL watchers start to come back out of the woodwork so I think we'll see that in the next couple of weeks and as you mentioned when once training camp hits there'll be lots and lots to talk about and unfortunately with training camp there'll be injuries and so on we'll be reevaluating players where they stand players maybe like an Arian Foster coming in and getting into a camp and uh, things like that so there's lots of exciting stuff I think it's really going to ramp up now in the next uh, you know three to four weeks so looking forward to that um, outside of that, I guess I better give Doug a plug on Twitter. He's on Twitter at DMoreNFL. I'm on Twitter at Overtime Ireland is the best way to follow that. I mentioned at the start of the show, iTunes Stitcher. Uh, all the ways to listen to the podcast can be found on the website, OvertimeIreland.com. And uh, while you're doing that, do give us a written interview on there. It really helps us move up those rankings and uh, helps support the podcast. So uh, with all that said, I guess there's not much more, more to do other than uh, thanks for tuning into the show. And until we're back next week with another show, of course, have a good one. Bye. 
Thank you for listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Check out OvertimeIreland.com and continue to spread the word. This has been an Overtime Ireland production.